And if you have a cell phone, which I believe everyone does, um, please make sure they're turned off or on silent mode or when it rings later after a minute that we've said this. Please turn your Bibles over to John, chapter 8. Um, I entitled our message, Love Beyond Compare. This is the week one of our God's Love series, because this is the month of love. We're going to try to put in, in your minds and in your hearts, what the biblical type of love is. And we will start, it will always have, it always has to start and end with God's love. Amen? Amen. John 8, 2, um, verse 2, it reads, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. Let me just start my timer here. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to ha have a basis of accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up. And said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away at one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your sin, life of sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sovereignty. We thank you for making all things possible in order for us to be here with your people in this building, in this body of believers that you've chosen for us. We thank you for all the blessings that you've given us today and for the entire week, Father. We are grateful again, Lord God, and, and as we are given this privilege to be able to sing to you, worship you in public without fearing for our lives or any arrest, Lord God. Father, now we ask, Lord God, that you guide us as you prepared our hearts earlier with the, with the songs, Lord God. Now we ask that you guide us and open our minds in order for us to receive your message for us. Open the minds of our souls, Lord God. Open the eyes of our souls in order for us to receive your message. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, hinder us from hearing you and you speaking to us. Father, give all of us the humility in order for us to receive your word. Father, we pray for salvation for those who are lost, restoration for those who are discouraged, and Father, rescue for those who are in trouble. All these things we ask in your sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 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 All right. Praise God. Uh, this is the month of love. You're, I mean, you just need to go to Walmart and you'll know that it's uh, February, right? Because the hearts are everywhere. 
I mean, I think it started in January too when they start putting up the, the hearts. But um, this is the month of love. Uh, this is when you're being reminded to love others or the fact that you are not being lovable or that you are not being loved by anybody or it, the, the need for you to love someone is being heightened or maybe not, maybe you just don't care. Um, but as believers of Jesus Christ, our perception of love and everything about love, that, everything that comes with love, uh, should be based on the Word of God. Don't you agree? Everything, including the perception of what love is. Unfortunately, there are people who call themselves Christians or believers of Jesus Christ, and they call themselves that, but they live according to the world, not the Word. A lot of their lifestyle reflects more of the principles and beliefs of the world, not the Word of God. Now, with that in mind, we will start our series with God's love. In this series, we will look into the accounts of people in the Bible uh, that have committed sin, and yet... With the sin that they've committed, they see God's love in their situation. Just like what we read, the woman caught in adultery. For tonight, we have three points. Uh, first point is everyone sins. Second point is God's love is Jesus himself. And third point is God's love renews. Now, we just read the account of a woman caught in adultery, uh, an act of sexual sin against the covenant of our God, is what adultery is. Um, that is what it was brought to Jesus Christ as a trap to test if he interprets or understands and will be able to apply the law that was given to Moses. Moses' law commanded that both men and women caught in adultery to be put to death by stoning. Right? But if, you were, if you've heard messages about this verse before, and if you were keen in listening, you will see that it was only the woman that was brought up to Jesus. The man was missing. I think he gave a bribe to take himself away from that. Now, Pharisees wanted to see how Jesus would handle such case. Uh, would he uphold Moses' law? Would he sentence her to death? Instead of focusing on the specific sin the woman committed, Jesus said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her setting the bar impossibly high for anyone to be sinless enough, sinless, sinless enough to pass judgment and demand the sentence of death. Now, with her life being saved, Jesus spoke to her eye to eye as opposed to speaking down to her, restoring her value, and perhaps in her own eyes, since no one was left to observe and called her to live a different life away from her sin. Is that loving of Jesus Christ? She felt, right? She was shamed. She was caught in the act of it. And now she was supposed to be sentenced to death. But then God rescued her. God rescued her. So everyone sins, right? Everyone sins. John 8, 7, 9, that's what we saw. They were questioning her. And then he said, let you who is perfect, everybody who, anybody who walks uh, on water, throw the stone. But then we see in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone, right? Everyone have fallen. Everyone have sinned. And, and unfortunately, even us Christians, after accepting Christ, we still fall. 
Amen? Maybe me, just me and Deborah. But, you know, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> um, but um, does Jesus forgive us and find us worthy after we sin sexually? The answer is yes. In the account that we just read, the answer is yes. He forgives and commands us to live a different life. As seen in that scenario mentioned, right? Jesus seems to look away from the type of sin the woman was committing. He did not give it too, too much value. Instead, considering it one of the many types of sin. When Jesus said, let he who has not sinned throw, cast the first stone, Jesus applied the truth about the law. That when you sin, there is consequence. But then when Jesus said, neither will I judge you, go and live a life of no sin, that's God applying grace, correct? But where do we see God's love there? Where do you see God's love there? Because the topic is God's love. You see God's love there by knowing what the truth is and what happened with grace. Grace became Grace happened because of God's love. Grace happened because of God's love. God coming down on, from heaven to die on the cross was not so He can give us grace, was because He loves us. So that He can be the payment for our sins. Amen? Now, if you have been coming to this church and you always hear me about teaching about living a better life or a holy life, the sanctification part, and you've been complaining that I don't speak of grace, this is the month that you come, okay? We're going to be talking about God's love and His grace. What was... Now, there's this thing, what the world says. This is what they say, or at least some of them, or many of them. There is no such... such there is no such thing as sin. There's only your opinion or your preference. Oh, you, you're, you're, you're not getting married. You're, you're, you want to live in, in sin. Oh, but that's, that's your opinion. It's not sin. This is practicality, right? Oh, you're, um, you're, you're, the Bible says you're, living, you're, you're a homosexual and that's a sin. That's your preference to be male. Well, my preference is to be female, although I was born like Adam. <laughs> All right. I promised the men's breakfast, the guys at the men's breakfast, that I'll pull this, so I'll pull it out. Uh, <laughs> Bong texted me. Yeah, I got another text from Bong. And Bong said, do you know that Satan is not gay? And I texted him back, how, how do you know that? He goes, because he went after Eve, not Adam. <laughs> I should have done it next week. Anyway. Um, you know, <laughs> answer to the first point of view. We're going to answer these two things, okay? We're going to try to answer these two things. Um, the Old and the New Testament concepts of sin are derived from Greek and Hebrew words that describe quote-unquote, missing the mark. That's what sin is. You miss the mark or missing the center of a target or the bullseye, right, in regards to a spear throwing or archery. In other words, if the goal of the contest is to hit the bullseye, any effort that falls short 
of this goal will be described as sin. If there were no bull, bull's eyes, there could be no misses, correct? Right. That's a, if there's no bull's eyes, then you're just throwing it there, and then everybody's like celebrating. Yeah, you hit it. What did I hit? You hit the hit. Because there's no target. There's no direction. There's no bullseye. To say that there is no such thing as sin, therefore, is to say that there is no such thing as a bullseye. Now, one must ask, are you willing to live like that? Living without aiming for anything. Driving, getting in your car, and going nowhere. Just driving. Can you really live without the bullseye? Or can you really live without a goal or an aim? Now, we used to interact with one another. Um, because if everyone will adapt to and, and live based on their own preferences, then there will be chaos and no loss. Correct? Now, in our society, there are laws that are placed in by the government that we all have to abide with. Correct? Some of you are probably like me, heavy on your pedal. But if we get caught, we violated the speed limit. Now, number two, what do you mean by sin? Most of us recognize that the existence of crimes, even if we deny the existence of sins, right? Some of the atheist friends that you, you, that you know, they believe in, in, oh, that's an evil crime. But they don't believe in God. They don't believe in sin. But they believe in crimes. How would you define these two terms? For some, crimes are violations of human laws, while sins are violations of God's law. Criminals typically act the way they do because they reject the authority of humans, as reflected in our laws. In a similar way, people who deny the existence of sin typically do so because they reject the authority of God. To say that there is no sin is the equivalent of saying that there is no God. Is that what they're saying? Some of them will say, no, I, I have faith, but I just don't believe in everything that's written down in the Bible. If God does not exist, if God does exist, then sin exists. Describing the acts that reflect our comparatively imperfect nature. Because we say we're not perfect. Where did you base your imperfection from? Right? You have to base it from somewhere. There has to be a determining factor. There has to be a line. This is why the world tries their best to argue that God doesn't exist because they don't want to live their they want to live their lives according to them, not according to what's written down in the word. Now, number three, the common definition of sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against divine law. In other words, a sin is an act that offends God. To say that there is no such thing as sin is the equivalent of saying there is no such thing as God. But there are good reasons to believe that there is a God. Like a fine-tuned universe that came into existence from nothing, the naturally inexplicable origin of life and the improbable existence of information in DNA, there are good reasons to believe that God exists. Amen? And that's why there is a good reason to believe that sin exists. Amen? Now, this is a picture, this is a video of um, 
if everyone gets their way, if everyone gets their way, we ready? Okay, I'm just going to click it. This is in Hanoi, Vietnam. Please keep your eye on the pedestrians. <laughs> this is everybody getting their own way. You see this guy? See, there's no point of having a nice car in there. I guess you do, because the AC will be good for in traffic. You see this guy's here coming here? Going from this direction? You see that guy using the sidewalk for his moped? The traffic people you asked? They're there. <laughs> All right, so I, I want you to see the whole minute of, of how it just constantly started to congest because no one is following any rule. They want to go how they want to go, where they want to go, at the time they want to go. This guy with his bike and then starts walking. So the next video is the accumulation of this. This is the morning in Hanoi. So you see that? So we're, we are looking at traffic jams in countries that doesn't give great importance to traffic laws. If caught, maybe if they were caught, if, they, if it is the same in the Philippines, if they were caught, they get to pay their way out of a ticket. Now, very rare to get caught because everyone has accepted that this is the way of life. No one will yield to the laws. They will only yield to protect their own own well-being, right? They will only step on the brakes if they were going to hit someone. But they were going to go wherever they want to go at the time they want to go. Now, in Hanoi, that, that traffic congestion has cost their country, listen to this, $1 and $1.2 billion per year. Because the workers are there stuck in traffic. <laughs> they can't produce money. If you're a realtor in Hanoi, you will not be able to show the house on time. And if you are able to show a house, one house. You cannot work two jobs. For those of you who are working two, three jobs here, in Hanoi, you'll only probably work half a job. <laughs> yeah. Now, God's laws are there, just like traffic laws, they are there to protect the driver and the pedestrians. They are there to make things smooth. Just like God's laws. God's laws are there to protect us, people, His creation. The reason why He says do not commit adultery, because you're violating yourself. The sin of adultery hurts the person first. And you are removing the, the, the sanctity of marriage. For those of you who are married and are cheating on your spouse, you are are, are, re, are removing the sanctity, the sacredness of your marriage. Now, God's laws are there to protect us. It's not there to hurt us. Now, this is what the world is in the third world countries. This is the way of life. 
Now, it's not just the infrastructure, because in LA, traffic is also prevalent. In San Diego, the same thing, right? So it's not just the infrastructure. It's really the people, the people, the people, because we don't like rules. We don't want people or anybody else telling us what to do, right? I talk about coming to church despite COVID, and what do people say? How dare he tell me to come to church? God, I'm saved by grace. I mean, I love God. God knows that. I can worship God here at the house in my pajamas. It's true. You can worship God in your pajamas. You can worship God in your living room. But are you really worshiping God on a Sunday with your pajamas if you're sleeping? Or are you just watching TV or watching sports? No, right? Are you really just, is it really about your protection if you decide to go to work six days in that week and skip church on the seventh day? Now, second point, God's love is Jesus himself. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus, being God himself, has no sin at all. Amen? He's perfect. Now, in this account, we see God applying the truth of the law that whoever sins against the commands will suffer the consequences that's been written down. Now, consequently, we see God applying grace by not applying the consequence to the woman, but rather giving her freedom, giving her grace and freeing her from the consequences of her sin. Now, Romans 6.23 reads, For the wages of sin is death. Here you go. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Every consequence, every mistakes that we do against God, sin against God, there is consequence behind that. And the consequence is death. But Jesus, because the gift of God is Jesus. That's why the title of this second point is Jesus. Is, is him. God, God's love is Jesus himself. That's how, if, if you're saying, saying, God doesn't love me because he hasn't answered my prayer. No, he loves you because he gave himself to, for you you know how much he loved you you imagine him with an outstretched arm on the cross imagine him because that's how much he loves you right he died on the cross for you in Romans 5 6 to 8 it reads you see at the just at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that's why God's love is Jesus Himself for you and for me. When the world says, how can a loving God do this and do that? And you know, they mention about the evil things, you know, rape or, or, or any other gross things, right? And, and, and hurricanes that kill people, unfortunate things that happen to families. It doesn't negate or it doesn't justify that God's not loving because God already knew, God already provided the, the best gift, which is himself, and He already manifests His love for us for that because that is the worst thing that can happen to us is to spend eternal, eternal, eternity in 
the lake of fire. And what was his motivation? Because he loves us. Because of his love for us. Jesus knew all along that when he came down from heaven, that he will be the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world, including that woman that was presented to him. Jesus knew that it meant that he will die in the most horrific way. But he came down from heaven anyway because of his love for mankind. When the world says, what kind of loving God sends hurricanes, let rape happen, or let my loved ones die, and all the other tragic and heartbreaking moments in life, we have to remind ourselves that God gave himself for us as a payment for our sins against Him. Now, just so to review for most of us, but new for some, propitiation is a big word that means satisfaction. Jesus became the propitiation for us because God is a holy God. His anger and His justice burns against sin. And he has sworn that sin will be punished. There must be a satisfactory payment for sin. But God said, if I punish man for his sin, man will die and go to hell. On the other hand, if I don't punish man for his sin, my justice will never be satisfied. The solution, God said that he would become our substitute. He would take the sin of mankind upon himself in agony and blood, a righteous judgment and a substitute for sin. That makes sense. Don't you? Isn't that truth make you love God more? Because I, I get it. You know, sometimes the bills get to be too much, and and life becomes so much about practicality that there's no more spirituality, right? And then we only gather on Sundays and we rush through our Sundays, right? Right. I hope Pastor Joe gets done in forty minutes. Now, John 3, 16 to 18 reads, For God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. See, that's, that's why when, when, when people say God's not fair, they're correct. But what they're saying is God, God's not fair because He's going to let me go to hell if I don't believe in Him. That's not fair. No, God's not fair to Himself because we're the ones who committed sin against Him, but yet He was the one who provided the payment for the mistake that we have committed. So He is not fair to Himself, right? Now, we will not understand love until we will understand God's justice. And we will not understand God's justice if we don't understand His love. They go hand in hand. You cannot just say, God is love, but I don't think He is about punishment. The, the, the answer is the cross. If you look at the cross, the cross provides the, both God's justice and God's love together. Because of His love, He came down to die on the cross. Because of His justice against sin, Jesus suffered in the most agonizing way. 
So his justice and his love together on the cross. Now here's an illustration. The question, what is love? What does that, in love, what does in love mean? You know, you're going to be hearing that. You're probably going to be writing that in your text. I don't know. How, how do people do Valentine's now? Does the text will work now? Because before, during my time, it's a love letter, you know? And, and then we'll say there, I fell in love with you the first time I saw you. <laughs> Ooh, love at first sight, right? Now, what does in love mean? What does... What does it even mean? Love is a junk drawer we dump all sorts of ideas into. Just because we don't have anywhere else to put them. We say, I love God and I love fish tacos. You see the problem? The way we use the word is so broad, so generic, that I'm not sure we understand it anymore. How should we define love? To some, love is Tolerance. I hear this all the time. The idea is that rather than to judge people, we should quote-unquote love them. And what people mean is that we shouldn't call out something that is wrong. We should just love them, tolerate them. When, it, when was it, since when was it, that the person that discerns an evil thing is the bad person versus the person that did what is evil. It's only in our society now, only in our culture now, right? Riots that happen on the streets are called peaceful protest. And then people that are driving trucks are terrorists. I don't understand. I don't understand anymore. I, really, I don't care what your political slant is, but you, I, what I beg you is to open your eyes. Have, ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the lie of the enemy that is being propagated there for us to see. You have to be guided by the Holy Spirit in everything that you do, Christian. Everything. Everything. To many of us, love is a passion thing. It's the word that we call on to conjure up our feelings of affection. We love hiking, or we love the new, the new song. That, that band, oh, this is my jam, I love it. It's the same thing as when we say, I love my potato chips and my guacamole. When we aim at the word, when we aim the word at people, we usually mean the exact same, same thing. When we say we love someone, we mean we have a deep feeling of affection because they make us feel alive all over again. They, may, they give us this feeling of, of adventure. They make us feel brave. They make us feel wanted and loved and happy. Love, by definition, is pure, unfiltered emotion. And your role in love is passive. It's something that happens to you. The phrase, quote-unquote, fall in love, it's like you trip on a rock. Oh, boom. Oh, I fell in love. <laughs> It's an accidental thing. You weren't planning on it. And it's fantastic. We love it. It's like, it's the movies. It's a Hollywood thing. We're a sucker for it. Like, oh, yeah, I love the feeling of falling in love. Accidental tripping and falling face first. But there's a dark underbelly of, of to feel this kind of romantic love. If we can fall into love, we can fall out of love. 
Now, God is a loving God. God doesn't, His love is not about emotions. His love is not like our love. This is where we struggle because love, the word, is so, like I said, it's, it's populated by many other things. It's just been watered down so much. God's love is not about His emotions. God's love is His commitment to us. God's love is a decision. That's why we don't trust God's love because we don't trust our love on how we love people. Or we've never felt loved by our parents. That's why we don't like that concept that God is love. Or just we just don't understand what love is completely. Now God... He knew that we will not be perfect, that we will sin. And knowing that, He willingly gave Himself as the payment for what is owed Him by the adulterous woman and by us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in Romans 5, right, this is how we know what God's love is. While we were His enemies... He died for us. You see, that's, that's the love that that's, cannot be compared to our love. Or any love that you can get from this life, from anyone. You can never give that and you can never get that. God's love is unconditional. Because God's love is God Himself. Amen? Amen. God Himself. Third point, God's love renews. Um, does anybody know what January 1, 1863 is? And let me give you uh, help, some help here. It's not the new year of 1863. <laughs> this is when President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. As the nation approached its third year of bloody civil war, the proclamation declared that all persons held as slaves within the rebellious states, are henceforward shall be free. Now, according to some, there were slaves that could not believe this, this, this news. They could not believe this, this, this development, that some of them chose to stay where they were because they could not believe their ears. And some of them, they heard it, they understood it, but they didn't know how to live like free men because they've been slaves forever. Some of them left and wandered around, left their masters. But some people kept reminding them of who they were. You're a black person and you are a slave. I don't care what President Lincoln said. You are forever a slave. You know that just that is just like us Christians. God has freed us from our sins. But some of us, we don't believe this news. Sometimes when we fall, it reminds us that, oh my gosh, I'm still a sinner. I'm still a slave. And then we don't do anything anymore. We stay where we are. We don't become productive for God because we make that judgment upon ourselves. Or some of us, we're trying, we're trying. And then some people are, are good to remind us that, no, you're a sinner. You're a hypocrite. Stop even. What are you doing singing at the praise and worship team at your church? What are you doing being a pastor? You're a sinner. Remember? We see, 
You need God to remind you. You need God to remind you that His love has renewed you. All of us are new beings. We are a new creation. It's no longer the old person. Us knowing this and accepting this and reminding ourselves this, especially after a fall, will help you. It will compel you to live for God. It's the only way. It really is the only way. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Ezekiel 26, Ezekiel 36 to 26 reads, I will give you a new heart and put in a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You see that? That's a renewed person. There's a new being. And of course, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone, any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Remember the illustration? That if you think you're an old 1995 beat-up Honda Civic DX, the most basic Honda Civic model of 1995, and it's 2022. When you accept Christ, you enter into that car wash and you come out of like a Lamborghini. <laughs> you come out like a Lamborghini. Breads Lamborghini. Black and red. With yellow interior. <laughs> It's screaming, hey, Popo, come get me. <laughs> right? You're no longer the Japanese car. You become the European car. You're no longer the old self. Stop believing the lie of the enemy. When you accepted Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in you, and the Holy Spirit has given you the power to resist sin. Don't believe that you don't have the power against sin. You do. Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, if you fall, again, look at the love of God. There's no point of just staying down. You confess your sins and you say, Lord, I fell again. I'm so sorry. But thank you for your love. Thank you for your love because you don't see me. You don't even see my fault. You see Jesus and His blood covering me. Why? Because He loves us. He loves us that much. Now, there's shame and condemnation, remorse, guilt, and regret often accompany sexual sin or any sin for that matter. Anything that is life-altering, it has its consequences. These feelings can torment you into a downward spiral of despair and more sin. You will say to yourself, I will never change. I might as well give up and give in again. Or, I've already gone this far, already sealed my faith as a sinner, I might as well keep going. Or, I can never forgive myself for what I've done. Condemnation locks you into that spiral and locks you out of hope for change. That's the lie of the enemy. You did not lose your salvation, but you lost your peace. You lost your joy. And you started believing the lie of the enemy that you are good for nothing. 
Now, a conversation about feeling damaged because of a past sexual history uh, assumes that everyone shares a biblical understanding of sex and a respect for what God says about it. Now, this is Preston Sprinkle writes, quote, unquote, the Gentiles of the Roman world Paul refers to actually abhorred adultery and considered it a crime, as a crime. However, sexual, out, uh, sexual activity outside of marriage was perfectly fine for them as long as it wasn't with another man's wife. So when Paul tells Christians to not engage in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, this can't be limited to adultery. What separates Christians from other Romans was that Christians, like their Jewish brothers, believed that sex outside of marriage was sin. Sprinkle continues, God's scandalous grace covers all of our wrongdoings. Amen? And he dishes out such grace liberally. But, it, but it's one thing to struggle and fail, and it's quite another to call sin good and a wrongdoing righteousness. Christians, genuine Christians, must strive to live in line with the Creator's intentions and celebrate the good gifts He gives to His people. The Lord Jesus saved the woman from getting stoned to death. He rescued her and gives her freedom and gave her the freedom from her captors and the consequences of her sin. Then what does he tell her? He told her to go back to your boyfriend and tell her, why didn't you stand up for me? <laughs> no, right? No. God said, leave your life of sin. When did it happen in the Christian church that the amazing and overwhelming love, of, love and grace of God is an excuse to stay and continue to live in sin. When did that happen? Because that's, what, that's what's been happening, right? That is somehow the justification of many Christians is since I'm saved by grace, I can continue to be disobedient to the, my loving God. Since God has loved me and paid for everything that, that I am going to do now and in the future, then I can continue to live the way I want to, even if it's against His will. When did that happen? When is it, where is it written down? Romans 6, 1-4, it reads, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin live in it, still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore, we were buried with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in the new way of life. See, we have, some of us, we happily and just stay there, accepting Jesus, Jesus as our Savior. We still have to get to the part where we accept Him as our Lord, the Lord of our lives. We love the notion and the fact that we are saved from the consequences of our sin, but we don't love the fact that now we have to live according to God's will. And living according to God's will is what? A lot of denying of ourselves. A lot of denying of ourselves. Even the fact that you want to work on a Sunday because it's triple pay. Because you want to worship God. Because it's what God told you to do. And it's because what your heart tells you to do. 
Right? No? Maybe. Christians, we are saved by grace. You can do, you can do whatever you want, right? But Jesus, did, did Jesus say that to the woman caught in adultery? Now I have saved you, now do whatever you want. Is that what he said? Leave your life of sin. Leave your life of sin. It should not be that God's love and His grace be used to stay in our old life, our old sinful life. His love and His grace should drive us to live for Him. Our newness should make us want to live for Him. His love should motivate us to live for Him. Right? Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now, even after we fall, especially after we fall, we have to remind ourselves that we were never, we were, we were never keeping ourselves saved anyway, right? We were, you were never keeping yourself saved because you did not earn your salvation and you are not keeping your salvation. Hence, you are not going to lose your salvation, correct? So when you fall, when you fall, you're going to feel the pain. You should feel the pain. You should feel some agony there, some regret. But you have to repent. And repenting is, is turning away from your life of sin and deciding that because God loves me, now I will live for Him. It's not one and done, guys. It's not one and done. We only think it's one and done. We think, oh, I did it again. Oh, you know, we sing that Britney Spears in our, in our Christian songs. Oops, I did it again. Right? And then we're like, oh, that's not, I'm not worthy, Lord. I'm not worthy. You were never worthy. We were never worthy. Christ made us worthy. And we we're only worthy because of Christ. Lamentations 3.22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. Amen? Amen. Christ, if you fall, you look at these verses. Memorize verses. Look at them. Recite it. Fight the, the lie of the enemy by knowing that God loves you after your fall. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ controls us. See? It's not judgment anymore because we're not going to go to hell. But it's, it's His love that controls us. It should be what drives us and motivates us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. But, to him, but for Him who died and rose on their behalf. Christians, we are saved to do good works. And those good works is, number one, obeying His commands. Going to church should not be burdensome. Right? Giving to God should not be burdensome. Living for Him should not be burdensome if you love Him. Right? If you love your spouse and they request for a massage, right? Even if you're tired, right? And, and they, were, they were not working and... They were off, and you were the one that came off from work, and they say, massage my feet. Men, especially if, if we're the ones being asked, we're supposed to say what? Yes. I, I, 
You say, you say it this way. My goodness, I have been waiting for you to ask me this all day. Where's the lotion? Right? That's love. It's not burdensome if you love someone. Not, none of the parents here, none of the parents here will ever told me that they, ever shared complaints to me that they serve their children. Actually, they say it with holding back tears. You know, I used to always cook for him. <laughs> I always wash his clothes, her clothes. I did this for him. I did that for her. And they, 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 they're not saying it because they're regretting it. They're, they're saying it because they were happy to do so. How about us for the Lord? Oh, no, I, I've been going to church for eight weeks in a row. I'm a loser. I have no life. I've been following God. My friends call me boring. No, we, we're, we're proud to wear it, right? I'm not part of the world. I'm part of the Word. Ah, the Greek word. Sonikeo. Sonikeo. It means to hold together. This is the, the, for the love of Christ controls. That's the word. That's the, that's the Greek word. Controls. Sonikeo. It's to compress the ears. To compel to constrain, to keep in, to press, to be taken with. Are you controlled by God's love? Is your life controlled by God's love? Is everything that you do in your life controlled by God's love? Or are you controlled by something else, by your love for something else? Is it controlled for money? Is it controlled by that? Is it controlled by your career? Is it controlled by your other relationships, your human relationships? Let it be that you are controlled by the love of God. Luke 7, 37 to 38. A sinful woman in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus, Jesus at his feet, crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears. And she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with perfume. Verse 41, Jesus said, Two people owed money to the same banker. One owed 500 coins and the other owed 50. They had no money to pay what they owed, but the banker told both of them they did not have to pay him. Which person will love the banker more? Simon the Pharisee answered, I think it would be the one who owed him the most money. Verse 47, I tell, you, I tell you that her many sins are forgiven, so she showed her great love. But the person who is forgiven only a little will only live only a little, love only a little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Many of us know the story of this, right? Jesus was, was some accounts say that this same woman was the woman that was caught in adultery. Now, we will, we will never know, right? But the point of me sharing this is this. If you think you've been living, living a holy life and there was really not many sins that was forgiven by God for you, 
then your love for him isn't that as much as for the person who really thinks that he or she has committed the gravest sins that because of God and only because of God's love is he or she will be going to heaven. If you believe that you have committed so many sins and you're not worthy of his love, only then and only then will you be worshiping him and be controlled by his love. But if you thought you, it wasn't really for you, right? That he really didn't forgive, he didn't need to forgive you because you were a good person. You're the most humble person in the world, right? Then your love for God will not be as much if you don't see your unworthiness of his love. But if you see that you were so unworthy yet, because, despite that, God died for you, your love for him will just grow and grow and grow. Amen? So remember, when you fall, and you will fall, unfortunately, we will all fall. Just look at the cross and remind yourself that that cross happened because of his love for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your message for us. We thank you for reminding us of your love. Your love for us that doesn't make sense, Lord God. That is beyond compare. Only you, Lord God, can love that way. Forgive us, Lord, for the many times that we have loved idols, other people, other relationships, other things, that we were more controlled by those things and those people rather than controlled by your love for us. Father, remind us constantly and repeatedly that there is nothing that can match your love for us, Lord God. When you died on the cross for us, Father, that is forever that we should be grateful for. Father, please bless everyone that is in this building tonight. Protect them from COVID or any other harm or danger. Please, Father, respond to their needs. Father, restore broken relationships. Restore the health of those who are sick. And Father, help those who are stuck in their sins. I pray, Father, that you will give them the confidence, the conviction to stop it because they love you more than the sin that they are committing. Father, be with us and bless us. And all these things we ask in your son's mighty and sweet name. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all rise for the closing song. And if you have